This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And as we fade in here, you're going to notice that Anthony Smith looks a lot different this week. That's because that's not Anthony Smith. That is Thomas Wasson, host of the Loaded and Rolling show. So, Thomas, thank you for filling in this week on Freightonomics, where we combine the freight market analytics with that of the macroeconomic environment and mash them together and form a supply chain. Super excited to be on as well. Uh, big shoes to fill, but... I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna make make y'all proud. Oh, you're gonna be you're gonna be just fine. Fresh off of hosting uh, Freightways now, uh, and filling in all the gaps here. So, uh, you know the big story that we're gonna be covering. Obviously, that, that we're calling this show the the summer of discontent, a, a term that I stole from you uh, off of the Freightways Now roundtable discussion this morning uh, regarding the unions and all the labor disputes that we're currently starting to see percolate uh, in in the world, and that's you know, the reasons why, like, I want to kind of dive into the reasons why today with you, as well as hit on the freight market activity and some of the macroeconomic figures. So Anthony normally counts me in and we get things started with a little uh, market in two, if you want to get this show rolling. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to, the official fill in, let's get started checking it out. The two minutes of bliss. Let's see what we have going on. A lot of great sonar charts. Check it out. All right. So starting things off with the NTIL here. So our national truckload index removing the total cost of fuel estimated. Uh, and you can see that white line there. This is the seasonality view. So the white line is the current year. You see a little bit of that spike. July 4th uh, typically is what is kind of a secondary peak season for the spot market. And right now it's peaking uh, as it should. But the big question is, how far does this peak go? And it's probably more than likely, if you look at that orange line, the 2019 uh, figure there, it's probably going to come back down. So uh, arguably nothing to see here. Time will tell. I don't think we're seeing any inflection point just yet. Uh, significantly lower than the pandemic era in green. And of course, that 2020 uh, rise there in blue, not expecting it to follow that trend line whatsoever. So let's move on to the next one. Reasons I think that we're not going to see any kind of significant 2020 rise here is if you look at the tender rejection rate, it's still on the ground and absolutely it's actually fallen a little bit. It's kind of blocked out there uh, by the plus minus sign, but it's it's actually come down just slightly since the holiday period. It never got above 4%, probably will not get above 4%, meaning that the rate at which carriers are rejecting freight from their accounts uh, is remaining extremely low, historically low even below that of the 2019 era where the market was relatively soft. So spot rates will probably follow trend and come back down. Let's go to the next one here. The nuance of the market has been the West Coast has been a little bit more disrupted. The white line there is the regional rejection rate for West Coast freight includes California and uh, the Arizona markets. And it's kind of reverted to the norm here. So rejection rates moving back in line and in trend with the rest of the areas 
where it had been really, really subdued. The, uh, the pricing and freight market dynamics have really supported a loose environment out there. Looks like things continue to be a little bit more disrupted than they have been. That was good. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the big takeaway for me there, Thomas, was the fact that, we, we're, yes, we're still in an extremely loose environment. July 4th is not showing any kind of dramatic shift. Like we haven't hit that bottom that everybody's looking for, or I guess maybe we've hit a bottom, but things haven't started to go the other direction just yet in terms of freight market dynamics. And then we have a little bit of this weird dynamic playing out on the Western region as we see actually freight volumes have increased out East over time, but it's kind of led to this gap of capacity out West. Exactly. I mean, capacity goes fluid dynamics. You go follow where the freight is, West Coast dries up, you go back East. If the West Coast heats back up, it takes a while just to go back out West. I mean, even if you saw a surge, it'd take about four days for a driver, 2,000 plus miles. I mean, it's going to take a minute. So uh, import data, it's, it's something worth watching just because these shifts towards the East Coast ports, they're the real winners. And a return to normalcy may mean West Coast less, I'm probably like, what, 15% less tops. I don't yeah. think we're going to suddenly start sending Chinese stuff across the Panama Canal, but worth watching. Yeah, I think I think it is an interesting thing just to see how sticky this market share reduction in the port import situation has is going to become. I mean, especially with rates going so low. Now, I know there is the added nuance of Chinese production. Uh, they've had some disruptions over there that's also making it you know, more that China plus one strategy that we've heard about people employing more of. But, you know, there's there's got to be something to it because we're seeing it in the data. Inventory levels, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, also being a factor of a lot of the retailers really focusing hard on getting those inventories down. So maybe that's also keeping the Western freight volumes subdued to an extent as well. Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, we're looking at Chinese PMI, I think it was 49. Mm -hmm. And if they tell you, by the way, if you're a communist official having to report on the PMI and you say it's a 49, it may actually be worse because no one loves giving bad rates. Right. So uh, I would assume right now it's because typically we're going to see China spin up to cover our demand. There's just nothing right now. You have a great point on the inventories. Uh, we are buying things. We're just not buying things to an extent where you suddenly need to just push a lot of things through. And uh, I, I don't suspect that We've been anchored so much on the past two years that it feels weird right now to return to a sense of seasonality when, in fact, it was like that all along other yeah. than the blip. Yeah, I mean, I want, I want to pull up one more chart here. The CLAV, it's kind of the demand side indicator. I want to have a little sidebar here. Uh, this is the data point that I use to say that the market had 25% too much capacity at minimum. <laughs> Uh, and that, and it's based on this, you know, that you see that blue line there. This is a measure. This is an index of accepted tender volume. So freight that did move under contracted uh, rates. So in that blue line there, rejection rates were above 20%. So basically carriers were taking on everything they could. <laughs> um, and the rest of it was falling to the spot market or not getting covered entirely, uh, or at a very slow pace. And now we see the white line. Is about 18% lower than that peak maximum value. So if we, if we theorize that they were covering everything they could at the end of 2021, <laughs> they were covering 18% more freight <laughs> than they are today. So they could cover it. It's possible. Today, uh, it looks like that, that gap is narrowing. How close <laughs> do you think it needs to be? Because 0% would mean 
the market is completely like we're going to have disruption. Like if there was 1% more capacity available than the total freight demand, there's not a lot of leeway there. So any kind of ebbs and flows in demand would really disrupt capacity. How tight do you think the gap needs to be between capacity and demand to really be kind of in a sensitive environment? I mean, I would say, uh, I'd say around 10%, I'd say, because, you know, 5%, it just feels a little too much. 10% is a fungible enough because we always forget that, uh, especially coming from trucking, it doesn't take a lot of movement on the margins right. to see movement in spot. And right now there's still too much capacity and it, and it doesn't take a lot. When we talk about a bloodbath, it doesn't take a lot of bleeding or leaving to start throwing that dynamic. Because even if you have like a sponge fully soaked up your contracted freight with the available contracted capacity, you still always have spot. Things happen. Things need move. But if it reaches a point even a little bit where there's 10% less capacity to cover the existing spot, we'll see those prices go up. And then we'll see the beginning of the cycle turn. We're just not there yet. There's just too much capacity and the margins. Uh, it's like the long tail. We're just something to cut the tail off and we'll start to see some movement. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And arguably that 18% is a low, low figure considering capacity did appear to grow throughout 2022. That blue line ended in 2021 at 18% higher. So arguably there's probably more than 18% still left to go. So Moving forward, uh, I got a couple of newsonomics issues today. Now, some of this stuff we talked about on Freightways now, but I want to do a little bit deeper dive into a few of them. Um, the The first one I want to go into is the supply chain finance thing, uh, and this is this is a fascinating maneuver to me because it, it it does appear to be a little bit hard for people to understand. I want to make it more approachable. So, supply chain financing is simply a way to kind of free up cash flow or manage your payables and receivables in a way that is actually makes sense for your business. <laughs> so, what they do is essentially they can package their receivables or payables, however you want to look at it, and they can sell it off. That would be some sort of uh, factoring or it's a it's a financing me mechanism. They did this in 2008, The Big Short. Anybody that watched The Big Short. They took all these mortgages, threw them together, and they sold them to each other. <laughs> and they became financial instruments. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is simply having the bank pay your suppliers quickly <laughs> so you don't have to wait <laughs> uh, while you get the receivables. <laughs> like, so the receivables come in and you can actually sit on those before you pay. <laughs> and there's a little, there's an interest fee that the bank gets in that process. So what's happened though, interest rates have gone up and it's making this 
mechanism more expensive. So now when you're a company and you're sitting there saying, I'm going to pay, uh, I'm going to pay in 60 days instead of 45 days, that gives you access to cash longer. It makes your, it makes your cash position look a lot better than it may actually be, uh, because you're essentially paying a fee to get access to this cash. So we're seeing the expansion of the days payable, uh, go up. It's gone up 30% over the last six years, according to Adam Josephson's article. This is a very fascinating article. And the day's sales outstanding staying flat. So that means that customers are paying you. <laughs> uh, it is, you know, basically you can't go there and you don't finance a lot of like consumer goods. <laughs> you know, you're not going to, to Walmart and financing anything. So the sales outstanding are staying flat, but payables are expanding. What are your thoughts here on how this relationship is going to work moving forward? Well, it's fascinating because carriers need cash and so they use factoring companies. I pay you $5 for that mug uh, and you invoice me for five, but you may not pay me the $5 or I may not be able to get it for like 60, 90, 120 days. So I go to a factoring company and they take 50 cents and I get 450 right away. So like the movement, but packaging them and bundling, that's what I think people are really sleeping on is where then you're a large company doing the payments and you're bundling them up because uh, you can sell these instruments and say, oh, you're guaranteed with this tranche of collections of receivables, you're guaranteed to get this much at this much percentage or this much yield. They're being moved as something that, uh, I think you're playing with fire to be honest with you because when you're looking at payables, uh, just like the big short, it doesn't take a lot for these securities. The carriers are the person who gave it up and sold the rights are getting paid. They're taking a cut. They made a deal with the devil. You gotta have cash flow. But the companies who are allowing this to happen really run a risk in this higher interest rate environment that the, the cost associated with these instruments and should they fail could potentially cascade because then nobody gets paid and you're in a very weird situation. Yeah, the cost of funds is going up and it's something that you don't necessarily forecast for. And so money becomes more expensive and you're also playing with more of a fight. Like you've got a bubble that's building. I think this is part of the debt bubble uh, that we're seeing growing in America right now. Uh, moving on to uh, the next one here. I want to hit on Teamsters. Why Teamsters are willing to sacrifice 22,000 union trucking jobs? Rachel Premack summed this up so precisely. Uh, so the uh, first thing I want to lead off with, union sentiment has been very much, we're going to be much more militant than we have in the past, for lack of a better word. We're going to say, this is our line in the stand. <laughs> You're, gonna, you're either going to give us what we want. We've seen it with the ports. We're st we're, they're striking in Vancouver right now uh, at the Canadian forts. Um, we've seen this all over the world here after the pandemic environment and transportation sector specifically. Why do you think the labor unions have become much more aggressive in their negotiating strategy over the last bit? Desperation. <laughs> Looking at the data here, LTL revenue market share, back in 93, 60% were unionized of all LTL carriers, down to 22%. This is the light. This is it for them. If you're a negotiator, you see yellow bleeding out on the corner and you got two rounds left. You're going to take out yellow and save one for yourself in the next five years because you've already doomed yourself. What's going to happen is you're going to take out yellow and get a good deal with UPS. All right. You serve the one problem, but UPS may lose market share to FedEx who use this contract. UPS may have more problems now because they're not as trustworthy. All I got to do with this unionized labor. I promise you, if I'm starting an LTL carrier, I'm not going to use unionized labor. You're perpetuating the same thing. I don't know where the gap is. You don't know where the end state is. If we follow this to its logical conclusion, you took out 22,000 union jobs at yellow, and you're basically making a short, it's a, it's a pir pirate, pirate victory. 
King Pyrus of the Pyrus. He had a Pyrrhic victory. He thought that he won, but at the expense of more union share. Uh, LTL is the last bastion of what left, labor is left in the market. MCA Act of 1980 took it out of trucking. ICC is gone. Can't pay for the rights of lanes. Uh, the, the last holdover of the old ICC is unionized LTL. So uh, your framing earlier when we talked about it, was, and that was so great just because they're willing to sacrifice yellow to show they mean a deal with UPS. And I mean, it's very Machiavellian, but uh, with 22% left of the market share, it may be one last hurrah. Yeah, I don't get the long-term viability here of this strategy, but I do get it from the aspect of if they think yellow is basically a lost cause, why not make a play for the big guy who does have financial backing and at least supports them? But I, from a long-term perspective, the look is just really, really bad. Uh, and maybe they know that. Maybe they know that the exit, that this is their last, like you said, desperation, their last move. UPS, the largest <laughs> uh, in the in the United States, unionized carrier, not an LTL carrier, <laughs> uh, as that was sold off. TFI is now part of that. And, you know, they did, there were some good points in this article that said there was a little bit of back and forth. This is not entirely on the union. <laughs> you know, union costs are not the full reason that Yellow is having these financial struggles. However, they still are. There's 22,000 jobs that are, whether it's their fault or not, it is their problem. <laughs> it's smart on yellow because now yellow's not the bad guy for yeah. being mismanaged. Right. Now we can blame the Teamsters and right. say, well, you know what? If only yellow, if only Teamsters had made a deal, yellow would have survived without the whole story of the Teamsters. Also, that's the great part. They sacrificed so much. And then now they're finally fed up and they're like, well, I'm out. And now the narrative's going to be, Oh, look at labor shooting themselves in the foot again. I don't want to use labor next time. Yeah. So so on that note, why are, why do you think that we're seeing more of these labor disputes really showing up, not just in yellow and, and, and UPS, but everywhere else? I, I'd like the summer of discontent, the title of the show. Yeah. Um, it's because, in my opinion, uh, for so long, labor has lost ground. And given the, the, the coming off the edges of this pandemic and stuff where labor didn't really get the kind of recognition or take the advantage. Labor should have made their deal when the ports were backed up. Yeah. And now they've lost their leverage. I mean, this is kind of like where you got to stick your stuff. You got to put a line in the sand. Canada, the ports are six days now, $250 million per day in Canadian economy lost. And they're just allowing it to happen. And you got the ports of LA, Long Beach, SeaTac, and Oakland. The West Coast feels like they're rising up on arms. They're unionized port labor. And so... You, it, when it's all happening at once in this environment, imagine you have really bad weather and you're a thunder, I might as well storm. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel like we're dealing right now is we are seeing this discontent. We're seeing the lingering impacts of labor that was stretched thin, mm -hmm. rel labor. Yep. So uh, I do feel like this is a culmination of two years worth of pressure. And now we're starting to see what'll come of it. And, and in my personal opinion, the problem is no matter how good of a reason labor has for what they're doing, the optics they're facing is uphill because they're the ones stopping. They're the one causing damages in spite of the fact that they may have a good reason. Yeah. And additional jobless claims also trending higher than they were in 2019. Uh, I know the scale of those has, has changed over the last few years, but the labor market has not what it was. It is not as tight as it was uh, just a year, a year ago. And so it, it seems like maybe some market uh, data is, is needs some visibility here. Um, they kind of missed their mark. So the next thing here, so 
Speaking of missing their mark, the market appears to have turned dramatically within transportation. The LMI continues to show the logistics managers index. For those of you that watch the show, y'all should be very familiar with this. Uh, transportation market is extremely loose. We're at a record low for the overall LMI, which measures a combination of transportation, warehousing, uh, activity, utilization, prices, etc. So one of my big takeaways from this report, however, Todd Maiden does a fantastic job of covering this uh, on Freightways.com. Uh, despite the excess capacity and low prices, the exits from the freight market that we would have expected to see have not yet materialized. Now, this continues to be something we we hear and and you know anecdotally see from our own business model is that capacity isn't clearing out as fast as people think that it should. What do you think is happening here? Fuel prices are going lower. <laughs> it's because when it should have been, if prices had stayed high and fuel prices had gone up and maintained their course, we would have seen a lot more bleeding off. But at the end of the day, people, it's a great cycle. I know this is freightonomic, but the psychology is generally when a person makes a decision, they will convince themselves to stick with it. We're seeing that with truckload capacity in the market. In spite of the fact that they have lost a lot of the revenue for owner operators and small fleets, they're still going to say, well, if I can just push through, and if enough of them say, I can just push through, we're going to continue to see the summer doldrums that we're dealing with. Uh, and the problem is there's too much. This is a capacity-driven problem and that we're still going to continue to see that. LMI data was great. It's a six-year data set. Uh, we're, not, we're still like, what, 49, I think, uh, 40, 46, 46.5 or something. We're in a slight contraction phase. But uh, another great thing highlighted was inventories. Mm -hmm. uh, it talked about how people are buying certain things continuously. So 42.9 on the inventory level, which is wow. an at time low. Uh, so it, it dropped from like a 49.5 to a 42.9. Second biggest drop, I think. Yeah. That recorded. Ever recorded in the index. So again, this inventory number seems to be a pretty critical piece. This is what a lot of people were leveraging like the market's rebound in the second half of the year on is that inventories were correcting. And so now we're going to start ordering at a more predictable pace and people are going to start basically ordering again. <laughs> You know, this should be a comedy show because you know why they're saying that. Uh, if I'm a Target, I'm a Walmart, I'm a Home Depot, I want you to think that. I need you to think that. Because as soon as you find out when I give you a Q3 heads up and then you see my Q4, it, it's not. They know. They have demand planners. Their demand planners make a lot of good money. Go to MIT. They'll teach you how to do demand planning. There's there's algorithms to use. There's certain things for making demand forecast under uncertainty. But at the end of the day... Um, if you're a CEO, you can't afford to be the one who's like, oopsie, we can because I don't get paid on whether you do well or not. I just get paid to talk about our data. And that's what we do. Uh, so I think this is what we're seeing. Student loans coming in, another headwind, mm -hmm. 16 million borrowers, like millions of tens, hundreds of millions of dollars owed that are not going to be taken out by Supreme Court. Uh, I don't see a situation. And I think what we're going to see is Q3 earnings. That's going to be the elephant in the room. And like we saw with Night Swift, with one of the stories that may be coming up, is you're going to preemptively say, "Oh, hey, we may have we may have had a little bit of problems." So I, I think it's a return to normalcy. Honest, honestly, we're going to see a little bit muted stuff. But for people who have been used to hearing what it used to be for the past two years, mm -hmm. if we went back in time to 2019 and we just cut out the middle, we'd probably say, oh, maybe a little less or maybe in line with expectations, but we're weighted. So being weighted on that, it's so hard for people to wrap their heads around it. Yeah, I, I feel that for sure. So, however, one of the big takeaways, and there is data to support that the, the consumer is slowing down. The Bank of America releases a weekly uh, report uh, on credit card data, and it looks like the overall trend, especially the one ending June 24th, retail excluding auto, uh, declined. And so this is not adjusted for inflation. So people are 
buying less and spending less. So it's happening. Like the trend line is down uh, and it looks like that may be manifesting in a period of time where you wouldn't really expect it. Earlier in the year, uh, retail numbers were pretty strong. Uh, even if you take inflation into uh, into account, they were actually well above, they were between five and 10% growth year over year. So take that for what it is, still relatively strong retail spending environment, but that looks like that has all but deteriorated overall, and especially including inflation. So one of the other big takeaways from this report on the LMI, uh, the out, the expectations, the one-year expectation uh, for transportation prices grew to 59.6, which was an 11.6 point rise from last month. So these supply chain professionals are not expecting this pricing environment to last. Then they changed their sentiment very quickly over the last month. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think looking at our high frequency data, we see the bottom. We've hit the bottom in spot rates. And generally speaking, they know that I can get, and we hear it on channel checks. Mm -hmm. I can probably get single digit cuts again on my next RFP, mm -hmm. but I know I can't go lower. I think that's the prevailing sentiment. And I think we're seeing that in the LMI data. Yeah, I, I do too. I think they know that this is not going to last, which means that they're paying attention. <laughs> which is good. That's a great thing, but for yeah. the market, at least intelligence. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, overall, it looks like the market is still churning through some some of that post-pandemic environment. And now the sentiment is that, okay, we've all but hit a floor. Next year, things are going to go, we're going to turn the cycle. Correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, jobless as well, the, the fundamentals of the economy, I still think the Fed's going to probably go up two more that they're talking about. Joblessness claims mm -hmm. and unemployment numbers are still favorable. Mm -hmm. And until that starts messing it up, it'll be probably two quarters too late by the time they recognize it because we are lagging and it is having an impact. But uh, that's, a, that's a very important thing to watch, at least from the economic, what I'm looking at, because I think that... Uh, the biggest the biggest thing, rule of thumb, in my opinion, is uh, the reason we saw spending be a little bit better because I'm going on summer vacation. I'm going to save up all my money. I'm taking my summer vacation. I'm going to spend a little more. Crap, now I got to cut back and save now because I ran out of money. Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the idea moving forward into the next two quarters. Yeah, I remember uh, putting all my money into a bracket uh, one year and it saved me because I won it. <laughs> my one and only bracket that I won I, 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 in college, I, uh, it saved me for the rest. So, uh, Knight Swift... Uh, closing their deal on U.S. Express gave a little bit of insight into their Q2 earnings. Expect basically saying we're not going to be in the 80s very long this year uh, in terms of an operating ratio. So, uh, for those that don't know, operating ratio, of course, that expense to uh, to profit to revenue, 88 <laughs> percent. So that means they have a 12 percent margin. They're saying this is going to go back into the 90s by Q3 excluding that U.S. Express thing. So basically adding more fuel to this sentiment that we've still got some months to churn through. And I think they're the very bold to be the first one to say it. I don't think they're going to be the last one to say it. I'd expect probably Heartland, Warner, Pure Play Trucking is definitely going to feel it. Trucking companies with an LTL mixed, they'll probably fare a little bit better, but we are in for choppier waters. We knew that a quarter ago. Yeah. They're finally finding out. Yeah, I know. And it looked like they were doing really well early on, but yeah. Everything catches up. <laughs> Everything catches up. Well, good luck to everybody out there. And thank you, Thomas, for filling in for the illustrious Anthony Smith. He will probably be back next week, I think. I don't know. We'll find out. I don't have access to his calendar. He doesn't share it with me. Everybody have a great week.